Hey there, and welcome back to the Fidelity Podcast, a show where we talk about the work of design. This week, we'll be talking about this show's namesake, the topic of fidelity when it comes to communicating our work as product designers. I'm your host, Bill Chung, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Rundle. You uh, you hanging in there, John? What's new? Yeah, I mean, it's fr- Friday. <laughs> um, Happy Friday, yeah. So that's a plus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Not a long weekend, though. Yeah, that's right. For for our American friends, definitely. But uh, yep. no, no, we're we're going all the way. Uh, <laughs> um, but John, something yeah. I want to talk to you about before we uh, we dig into this episode's topic. Uh, uh-huh. Now I know you always give me a hard time about my Figma files, yep. and I'm like I'm totally one of those designers who has like you know like two hundred thousand layers in my file called frame. <laughs> and you're you're definitely on like on the other side of the spectrum where you're you're I think you're always naming layers as you go and I peek into your files and you you actually do that. Yep. Um but I, I mean I don't want to be clear I do eventually clean up my files. Um but like maybe once I've gotten to this you know point where I have alignment on what we're delivering. Um but I guess my question to you is like like when do you take the time to perform like some the big time hygiene on your Figma files and, and documents? Like when do you, when does it happen for you? Uh, big time. I mean, I feel like I do most of it as I go. Like, I guess there's usually like a moment in time when I like clean up the flow a bit more after I've kind of like just ripped things apart and just tried a bunch of stuff. But the individual artboards themselves are always usually pretty organized as I go. I don't really go back and retroactively do that. Yeah, no, no, no need to brag, John, but yeah, that's (laughs) nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I find it hard. Like, I think like yeah. like yeah. there's so much of the day that just kind of like you know maybe presentation went wrong or um, maybe a design you're presenting just didn't didn't land right right and then when I get into that mode I get into like let's quickly do something like right, right. now and right. I can't bring myself to sit down and be like okay well that's um, that layer should be called button right like I'm not gonna think about that like how like mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it like are you just <laughs> Like, is it just habit or do you have to force yeah, yourself? It's, it's just become complete habit. Like, I think it's like, a, I don't even think about it, to be honest, anymore. Like, uh, you know, it, it started, I think when I was doing it a lot originally was, you know how like when you're designing, not, so the moment you just described is totally different, right? Where you're kind of in panic mode and you're like, I got to just like get something out. Mm-hmm. But like, I think most of the other the rest of the time that you're designing, like while you're kind of coming up with the concept, there's these little like, one minute lulls in your thought process, you know, where you're kind of like, all right, what am I going to do for this thing? And you kind of mm-hmm. think about it for a second. And for me, I just like instinctively, it was almost like a fidget spin or something. Like it was, I would like in those moments when I'm thinking, I'm like renaming layers, if that makes <laughs> sense. But like I, I do it, like it just, it just like happens as I do it. Like, and it's, it's while I'm like thinking through what I'm going to do next, I just like start renaming stuff. Yeah. But I'm yeah. like, I'm actually thinking about something else. You know what right. I mean? No, like I, it's I one of those things. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like I, I, I guess for me, it's like washing dishes. Like I find, like even when I'm really stressed out, I'm still gonna wash the dishes. I'm not gonna leave them in the sink, and I just can't get bring myself to do it when I'm at work. Like it, I just uh, anyway, mm. I'll, I'll get there eventually. Like I think it's just good hygiene. <laughs> I mean, right? like, also don't have to do that much. Like I don't know, as both sides work. Yeah, you don't yeah, have to. Fair enough. Layers. Yeah, I. I Anyway, let's let's not talk about that. I, I feel bad already. <laughs> the state of my files. Another another topic for for a different episode. Um, 
Now, this is our second episode. The, the first one we recorded was just a self-intro, and do check that out if you haven't already. This is our first real conversation uh, about a topic I think we both care about a lot. And I think it was one, actually one of the first things we we ever talked about when we first started working together at Shopify, and mm-hmm. it's about fidelity. And when I say fidelity, I'm, I'm talking about things like lo-fi, mid-fi, hi-fi, uh, whatever you want to call it. And where do these different levels fit into our process? And do we need all these different levels? So let me just kick it off by remembering our first conversation, John. And I distinctly remember us both agreeing that, uh, well, <laughs> we oftentimes jump straight to something that is like more or less close to the end result, um, high fidelity. And mm. I think like, um, like some of us can do that pretty well. I, I know you can, John, but like, like, why do you think that is? Like, why... Um, why do you think we both feel that jumping to that high fidelity is the right way to go more often than not? I mean, it's a big part of it is experience based, right? Like we've mm-hmm. been doing this for a while, we've just become more comfortable with certain aspects. Like we can jump to the solution or the ideas of how we want to do the solution a little bit quicker. Um, and that's helpful. Like I think something we also both do, and I remember us talking about this too, is that we usually just go more um, extreme ends of this of the spectrum for fidelity. Like you start really really scrappy a lot of times with just like a simple like flow um, as as like as low fidelity as possible, and then yep. kind of skipping right to high. Right? Like I, I I very infrequently go only just to high. It's a lot of times like really basic and then much more high fidelity for sure. Um, unless it's something that's like already kind of figured out, but that would be like. Speaking to like a brand new project, for example, yeah, and I think you said something to the similar to that effect, right? Like you kind of go a similar route. Yeah, I think like the way that we had talked about it was that the like I find the distance between levels of fidelity is quite large. I think that like um, oftentimes um, we all worked in offices, like you know we gather around the whiteboard, and um, oftentimes yeah. I've found those experiences to be the most efficient in the sense that. Like your your cross functional partners are with you, and out mm-hmm. of necessity, of course, you're not going to worry about the visual design. Um, but that level of fidelity, uh, more often than not, is like pretty much what you'd see on the back of a napkin. Like it, it's like really yeah. basic boxes. And you're just trying to communicate like like step one to step two kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then after I leave that whiteboard, I'm going to go straight back on the computer. And I'm going when I further visualize it, I'm going to take it all the way. Is that sort of your experience too, John? Yeah, yeah, that's the same for me. Like that's that's the way that I think about it. The way I tend to do it, and I think a lot of it also comes back to trying to gain alignment quickly. Like I think each of those steps are part of that, right? Like that initial whiteboarding, you're with your cross-functional partners, so you are what you're doing in that moment is trying to gain quick alignment. Yeah, um, and then exactly. for me. If we've got that as a foundation, then the high fidelity actually starts to become beneficial because then it gets you to the point where we had that low fidelity alignment, but the high fidelity alignment is truly where the most important alignment is Mm -hmm. because it's so hard. Like everyone can, everyone can imagine going from that really low fidelity direction to a final result in many different ways. Like every person who left that conversation, who were part of that whiteboarding exercise, are all picturing something vastly different from mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, um, and that's why I've found like what it's beneficial about going to high fidelity right away is that we can get to that step as a group faster. Right, and we can right. like remove those question marks of like, 
how are you envisioning this thing? This is how I'm envisioning it. Is that, do you agree or not? And that, that can move things along faster than trying to stay in kind of the like quasi muddy uh, ground in between there. And you're not yeah. like fully still visualizing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. I, I really like that because um, I think more often than not, um, what you just described around like, we're all envisioning it different because it's so abstract at the lower end of the fidelity. Um, that's why like, I find when, you know, like uh, there's a manager or, or a stakeholder who like, uh, Oh, just, just bring like, you know, the low fidelity stuff. Let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. And I, I always like worry about that because what could happen is that they're going to look at these wireframes or whatever, and they're going to have an idea about the finished, uh, product that's mm-hmm. dramatically different from yours. And then if yep. there isn't a good culture of like, Hey, let's come back and, you know, uh, check in frequently there's going to come a point in the future where they're going to be looking at the finished product and be like well that's not what i imagine at all and that's like a, mm-hmm. like i think the worst place to be after a team has taken like a quarter to work on something before we go like too deeply into this topic like i think i want to be like i think we should be super clear that like when we say that we oftentimes jump to high fidelity we're not saying that everything we do as designers should be at like always at the highest possible level of polish and, and visual design. I, I think that lo-fi uh, stuff does have its place, especially when you're like mm-hmm. collaborating, you know, in person or just uh, cross-functionally. Um, so I want to make that really clear. Um, I think there's a place for it in everybody's process, but uh, more often than not, I find that when we, tr- when we trick ourselves into thinking that it's absolutely necessary that we nail that part of the process, uh, that, that's where I still raise an eyebrow. If you agree with that, John. Yeah, yeah, I do. Like it's yeah, like I think the the important thing to keep in mind is that we're ultimately trying to produce an end solution. We're not just going through this design process checklist um and working towards that and and how we can be most efficient and effective in getting to that point and being able to ship something is ultimately the most important thing. Like I think it's easy for us as designers to get caught up with all the elements of the design process and the things that we did on the previous project that went well, that maybe we're going to do it again um, without really like thinking about, do I need that for this project? Do I need it for this thing that I'm trying to solve right now? Mm -hmm. Um, Or can I get there in a different way? Can I get there with a different path? And and that's what applies back to like why it's different for everybody too. Um, It's different for everybody, but it's also very different for every project. Um, so there's like all these these multiple layers to um, where you apply these different pieces of the process um, yeah. with high and low fidelity. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I think um, like we're we're saying you know in a couple different ways that that the the distance in the um, levels of thinking that we're doing is quite large. It's, it it kind of reminds me of that meme, you know, of like. You you first you draw the circle and then you draw the fucking owl like it's yeah. like <laughs> you just kind of like it, it just it's just massive jump and you can't yeah. like I think like looking back on it you can't think like well how did I do that like how did yeah. I get from this to this right yeah. um, part of that's experience and part of that is like I think the conversations that come when you put something out there that is as close to the finished product as possible because I think as humans we we're always going to like try to fill in those gaps you know I think of, as an industry. Um, we oftentimes like tell ourselves that uh, the low fidelity is faster, right? And I can kind of mm-hmm. understand like the root of this. Like you worked in agency, so I think you kind of understand this. Um, like we don't want clients to or, or stakeholders to be like fixated on visual details. Um, and I, I think erroneously, like a lot of us who work in house product design uh, organizations, 
tend to think like that it's the same, right? Um, yeah. Like, I'm curious as to your perspective here because like has working at higher fidelity early on actually slowed you down? No, I think I actually think it's the opposite uh, mm. in general. Like even applying that to the agency world, right? Like I, I recall that I worked in agencies um, originally, like at the beginning of my career, and a lot of times there just wasn't time for it. Like I think that's what it helped me get to this level of comfort with jumping to a later stage faster. Is that mm-hmm. I was kind of forced into it in the agency world, where it was like we need to get mockups to a client by this afternoon, right? And so. You can only do so much, and yeah, you're trying to gain um, alignment early on. And we did do like rough wireframing work here and there, but a lot of times it was, it was, it wasn't really that helpful. You know what I mean? Like, there, mm-hmm. I think that's where I started to see some of the problem with relying on it too heavily because you kind of make decisions sometimes in wireframes without the visuals that that lead you down a very different path. And I remember so many times feeling like kind of backed into a corner with a wireframe that was produced. That we then had to kind of convert to, to design and <laughs> yeah. the visuals like weren't quite fitting into it. And then mm-hmm. you kind of make these weird trade-offs with wireframes too, right? Like if you don't have visual design techniques like color or um or hierarchy and stuff, and you're not you're not utilizing those in your wireframe, because a lot of times you don't, it it means that you make different trade-offs. Like like take a button, for example, right? Like mm-hmm. if if I have a primary CTA on the screen, whether this is like a marketing website or a product page, right? Um, well, if you're using, if you're producing a wireframe without color, you're going to probably make that button larger or put it like in a very primary location to make mm-hmm. it really obvious. Like this is the CTA, and like let's let's align on like the structure of this page and is the CTA easy to find kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you if you had actually just applied proper visual design techniques to it and used a, a color, for example, if it's a color that stands out, like the rest of the UI is very like grays and then you've got a colored button, well, it doesn't matter how big that button is, you're going to see it. It doesn't really <laughs> yeah. matter where it is. Um, and so like that part of it I think is is interesting because like going back to the speed part, a lot of times you i just found like you could get stuck into a weird corner with with producing wireframe work if you're not thinking about it the right way or if it's if it's too like middle fidelity that yeah. it almost makes things take longer and then you have this like false sense of alignment too um, yes. that's the part that i always go back to is like you look at a wireframe and everyone agrees cuz again it's like not quite the final thing, but it's sort of close. So yep. you might have a little bit of feedback, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you apply all the visuals to it, then you get this other round of, of feedback and you get, sometimes I've heard of designers getting frustrated in those moments. Cause they're like, well, I thought we signed off on the wireframe. Well, it's like, it's very different in context now. Like the wireframe yep. is not the same. So you end up going backwards. A lot of times uh, there's like a regression to the feedback I find. Sure. Um, yeah. You're, I don't you're, know if you like notice that too, like in your agency days or, if you've like seen any pros and cons from speed there too. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, so, you know, everything you're saying is making me think back to a time when, um, like, yeah, I, I did use wireframes because I think it was the, sort of the expectations of the job, right? Like, okay, present the wireframes and then we'll get approval from the client and, and whatnot. And I remember uh, spending one night in the office and it was like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, like with my, my, my head in my hands thinking, oh shit, like there's no way I can convert. Like there's something that's going to be very different about this like high fidelity mock-up that's quite mm-hmm. different from the wireframe that everybody saw. 
And yeah. I remember just like having these cold sweats about how I was going to reconcile those two things. Right. And I think yeah. it was in this moment when, you know, someone had encouraged me to use wireframe. So I did. And it was in this moment, I realized that like, God, you know, I, I wish, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I had just gone a different way with this. Like, because I don't think I saved a whole bunch of time from drawing some great boxes um, because there were so many questions about content that came up um, in those sort of reviews, right? Right. Um, um, and this this is exactly related to what you're saying about like um, like stakeholder expectations, where it's mm. it's definitely going to change between the wireframe and the high fidelity mockup. And yep. if it doesn't change, that means that the fidelity of your wireframes was maybe too high, and you you weren't really getting right. the benefit of speed mm-hmm. anyway. It, it's funny when I look at some um, case studies. Uh, from from students and their wireframes are literally like a pretty high fidelity, right? Like they're yeah. <laughs> they've got like yeah. photos and they got drop shadows in it, but they just like strip the color out. I'm like, well, what's, what was the point of that? Why not yeah. just go all the way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're basically designing in high fidelity at that point, anyways. Like you're it's taking the same amount of time. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not there's not really a lot of benefit. And and you actually called out something really interesting around the content piece too. Is that like I think part of the problem is we, I think as designers, we kind of, there's that always that imposter syndrome aspect, right? It's like, you don't oh, yeah. always want to get criticized by what you're sharing. And so you want to try to get it as buttoned up as possible, even if you are in like different layers, levels of fidelity. And sometimes that, that feels easier, right? Like, oh, let's, let's not worry about the content because this is middle fidelity. So like, don't yeah. worry. It's just about the structure. Mm-hmm. But that's because I think for me, a lot of the times it's like, that's just making a trade off that. I wasn't able to go and spend the time to work on content yet. I'm going to do that later. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like you win all the way, and 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 maybe that's okay. And like I think there's this tendency to be like, let's just focus on this specific aspect at this stage of the project. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I'm the way that I've started to see it differently is that like, well, why not just get all that feedback out in the open right away? Like. If even if you've put in your own rough content thoughts, like maybe you haven't worked with a content designer yet, or, or you feel like you haven't really spent the time with it, but you've just put in some rough ideas, like that can that can still get you some really good feedback at a stage where you're maybe not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Like I almost like would want someone to to say like, hey, this this copy here doesn't feel right. And instead of saying, oh no, don't worry about the copy, it's not final yet. Instead, saying, okay, great, now I understand how you're approaching this content, let me make sure to ad- ad- address that when we actually finalize the copy. Yeah. Um, and then you're not having to like go through the multiple feedback loops again. You're getting kind of all of that up front right away. Same with right. like animations or little interaction details, right? Like if you put those in and then someone calls them out, even though they're not quite done yet, um, that's actually a good thing. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to get some of that fringe feedback that you weren't expecting. Um, yeah. But too many times I feel like we get worried about that extra fringe feedback. Fringe feedback. <laughs> you got to patent that term. I don't, I don't think I've ever yeah, heard that before, term. but uh, it's, a, it's a good one. Um, like, yeah, I, I think like uh, early in my career, like I think it took an inordinate amount of like courage to show the high fidelity stuff quickly because mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you're always told in the industry, oh, you're, you're going to get the wrong type of feedback. But I agree with mm-hmm. you. I'd rather get that feedback now. Like, why wouldn't yeah. I want it? Right. It's not like, yeah. like we're not billing by the hour anymore. So, so give yeah. it to me. Right. And I'm going to have, like, it's going to make those review sessions and like critiques much more effective. Um, and you know, I think it's contingent on us designers to be able to take that feedback, um, listen carefully to it. Um, 
we don't need to action on everything, but we're collecting everything um, in these like very like I think critical moments where we're collecting feedback from like a group of people, right? Um, yeah, I think and, like and yeah. content is such a sorry. I don't want to hone totally in on content here, but like content is such a good example of this because it goes. It's even like the button thing I mentioned earlier about mm. color, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like content can be as much a part of the UX as any kind of like UI element or or flow or experience, right? Like so mm-hmm. if you aren't thinking about all the details all at the same time, like you're just making trade-offs without that other element providing its own strength and benefit. Yeah. So like high fidelity almost forces you to make sure that all those details are there and think about the entire experience holistically, not right. just about it in small little stages. And where you're making decisions based on something else not being fully fleshed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, totally I true. cut you off there. Go back no, to no. The, it, your it, thought there. It's a good point because um, like you could pay for it later, right? If you're not yeah, thinking about content for early on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have uh, backed myself into a corner too many times. I'm not going to talk about it now because it just makes me cringe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, cringe moments, right? That's 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 how we get the best out of this career. I think it's just like yeah, uh, remembering those moments and uh, and learning from them for sure. Yeah, you got to make a mistake to to really learn how to do it better next time. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I I, I want to think a little bit about the root of uh, like where all this um. This, this notion of like layering, layering on fidelity, like where it comes mm-hmm. from, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I understand it from like, you know, a pre-digital times when, you know, like it, it was laborious to, to mock up a poster, for example. Um, and you might use something like Letraset, like to mock something up um, quickly before it goes onto the press, right? And, um, and I think about like how students are taught in like design boot camps and, you know, having taught one of these myself, um, it is kind of taught in a way where there's a finite number of different tasks that you kind of have to go mm-hmm. through. Like, and one of those, yeah. of course, like your sketches and then, you know, doing a mood board and then doing wireframes, et cetera. And then you kind of layer it up to high fidelity. Um, yeah. And then I also think back to, you know, one of the very first jobs in UX I interviewed for, and I'm not trying to throw shade on this person who interviewed me, <laughs> but like one piece of feedback I got from this person was that there wasn't enough of my thought process in, in the case study. And, mm. and in retrospect, I agree. Like that, that's true. I was young and stupid yep. and I, I really didn't know what, what design was. Um, but I think what bothered me about that interaction was that uh, one comment they made about not seeing things like rough sketches and wireframes. And, and, and I totally understand why seeing this is, is a part of like, like peering more deeply into a designer's like thought process. But I yeah. kind of like always resented this comment because um, <laughs> there was almost this necessity that I have these specific artifacts. Um, right. and, and they're useful in, in some ways if you're trying to assess someone. But yeah. like, I think like the requirement of having to see those things is what always bothered me. And like yeah. needless to say, I didn't get that job. But um, <laughs> I can tell you with some confidence um, that in every single like successful interview process I've, I've been through in my career, 
I've never shown a single pencil sketch. So I, I wonder mm-hmm. about like how we're teaching designers that are coming through these boot camps of like what the expectations are for communicating your work. It's not about like yeah. checking the boxes on these artifacts. It's about like, well, what did you use that for? So I have these wireframes. Well, why did you do wireframes and what did you use that for? I think that that's the part I find missing in a lot of case studies. Um, I, I'm not sure if you agree with that because um, every interview process is different. I've been through yeah. some where like there's that expectation that we look at the early work. Um, yeah, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a tough one because there's like a lot of different layers here. Like there's a few different things that you touched on that I kind of want to talk about. But I think starting with like what's taught um, and teaching young designers the entire process, like I think that's actually really important. Like I think school is the place for you to get all the tools thrown at you, right? Like (laughs) it's kind of like going, I'm thinking back to like way back in the day, like learning math, right? And they always talk about like show your work, right? For math, like how did you (laughs) get to the, the answer? Um, and that's really important when you're learning because it's like you need you need like the teacher or the person there to be able to to tell you if like yes you got to the right answer but hey you made this mistake along the way like you this didn't this didn't affect you in this case but it might affect you in another case mm-hmm. um, so you should you should learn how to do the steps to get there and I do think that that is really important for the learning aspect of it sure. right it's like. Um, it's like the uh, recipe uh, cooking metaphor. <laughs> we talked about this once yeah, before, right. but like the idea that like in order to really learn how to cook and make a good meal, you have to follow a step by step recipe. And yes, the greatest, the all the good chefs in the world that have really honed in their craft, like they don't use a recipe book that much anymore. Like maybe mm-hmm. they do time to time, but the vast majority of the time they now they get to the point in their career where they just know the ingredients. They know yeah, what, right. how much impact the salt is going to have on the flavor of the dish. Mm-hmm. And so they don't need to refer back to those specific guidelines anymore. Mm-hmm. But when they were learning, they had to. And anyone who's learning to cook now has to because you you won't get to something editable unless you do that in the early stages of your career and, and learning that experience. And so I think that's why it's, I think it's really good that they teach that in boot camps and in, in school because you need to learn how to show your work in order to to really understand where you're getting to by, yeah. uh, by the time you get to that end result. That's, that's the one aspect. The other interesting one that you brought up there is the interview process. Cause like that's another whole uh, element, right? Like, wanting to see how a designer got to a solution is uh, I think a valid question for an interviewer to ask, right? Like you want to be able to see that. I, I, I disagree with like it having to be shown with specific artifacts. Like you should be able to speak to your work um, regardless of what artifacts you have. Um, And that's really the key part. Like as an interviewer, as someone who, I mean, I've done a lot of interviewing uh, of, of candidates and stuff like that too. And, I'm never really concerned with do they have these five different artifacts. It's more like, okay, is the end result great? And if it is, how can I like can I ask some questions to dig into how they got there? And mm-hmm. are they able to speak to that through whatever method that is? Like it could be low fidelity work, it could be all just high fidelity work, and they're able to just confidently speak to how they got to where they did. Yeah. Um, or there's or there's documents they have, right? Like I think one of the things that we we tend to shy away from as designers too is actually just using documents as part of the the fidelity process. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a document is a low fidelity part of the design process. 100%. And it can be 100%. just as valuable as any wireframe or sketch or whiteboard. Um, 
uh, like a, do- a simple document just explaining um, the problem, how you broke it down, some simple, like even a bulleted list of here's how I see it um, working and like, and then taking that to, into design is, is also a valid way of approaching that. So yeah, I, yeah agree. I, I, I think there's a lot of different pieces that we could continue to unpack there with what you were talking about. But I think, yeah, the, the big overarching picture is that really there shouldn't be like required elements of the process but you should still be able to to lean in on these things that we get taught over time and use them where they need to be applied. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think like um, the necessity for those like artifacts is like less important, but if, if you're listening to this and you interview designers, um, let me just say that I think one of the most valuable questions you can ask uh, like a junior, for example, is when they're showing some of their wireframes is, is that question of like, what did you do with this? What did this help mm-hmm. you decide? And I think like if like I'm not saying that if, you know if the designer can't answer that that's it doesn't disqualify them. But I think what it does is that it forces them to think about their process a little bit more intentionally. Like mm-hmm. why am I doing this part of it? And it, I think if they can answer that, well, I think there's there's a, a further conversation to be had with this person. So uh, yeah. something if you interview, I think like that's a great question to ask someone, um, and it could have a long term impact on this this designer if you're really starting to question the way that they do things. So I'll, I'll leave it there. I'm not going to, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a good segue, right? Like how do we, how do, what's the takeaway from this for younger designers mm-hmm. um, that are thinking like listening to this and thinking like, Oh, I should be jumping right to high fidelity. Well, like right. <laughs> we're kind of saying, no, that's not really the answer, but like, what is, what is the thing that they should be thinking about? Like what is, what, what would you, what would you say to somebody who's just starting out and are like, how do I start approaching my process differently. Like, what should I do next? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think I actually remember asking you this question because um, yeah, I'm flipping you, it you, around. So you yeah. This well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think rather like you know, I, I, you've got a lot more experience than I do. I think like me uh, asking you this really. question was more about like, am I thinking about this the right way? Like, and I think I asked you the question of like, is it is it okay if I like just skip this entire step of it because mm-hmm. I kind of know what I need to do, right? And um. I almost feel like uh, that kind of answers the question in that like I'm asking the question, which makes me, which would imply that I'm starting to question the necessity and efficiency of doing it a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for me, that's fine. But uh, as you were saying, like, I I don't think um, it's, uh, contingent on like junior designers to like, you know, skip over entire phases of a process just because, you know, we said so, right. I, yeah. I think like it, yeah, it no. would be, imp- I think like, as you were saying, you kind of have to know the rules, like, like you have to know yeah. the recipe before you decide to eyeball the salt. And yeah. I think this is one of those things I would say to a junior designer is that like, don't, don't be so, um, don't be afraid to question why you're doing something, but you mm-hmm. kind of have to know, um, how most designers get to a place before you decide to break those rules, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too is like learning from mistakes and learning from experience too. Like, um, we said we said this earlier, right? Where we found cases where a wireframe kind of like put us in a corner um, mm-hmm. with the final design, and and that's where we started to see aspects of okay, is this really the best thing? So it's a part of this is is also like you can learn from others, but you also kind of have to make some of these mistakes on your own too mm. and and then apply them into your like toolkit of experiences like yes. what what would what did I do last time how did it work what what didn't work how can I apply 
this idea differently the next time I go into a project like this. So mm-hmm. I think what's really important is actually to start jotting this stuff down, right? Like I'm I'm notoriously bad at like not keeping track of things that I learn or do. Like I just kind of keep them in the back of my head and hope I'll remember them one day. <laughs> yeah. But I think a more practical way of doing this would be to actually write this stuff down and say, <laughs> what did I learn from this project? Like were there things that I did that I didn't need to? How can I be a bit more effective? How can I spend more of my time on the right parts of it? Because yeah. that's the thing. Like we're not saying... Um, the efficiency effective piece is so that you can cut corners and be lazy um, <laughs> and do less work, right? Like it's it's not that at all. Like it's for me, the fact that I can go to high fidelity way faster means that I can spend so much more time in prototyping. Like I can go to origami and start prototyping so much faster and I can like dial in the interactions and I can share something with stakeholders that is way more true to life and get like really, really valuable feedback because they're actually able to play with it or see how it comes together. Um, and the, the, the amount of like the speed that you can get to those kind of decisions, but also be able to dial in like all the details is really cool. Um, yeah. and that's <laughs> where like it moves from, you're not just doing it to go move faster and to save yourself time. It's more that like you get to save that time in one place so you can use that time in another, um, yeah. in another place where it's going to impact uh, your end user even more so. Speak for yourself, John. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lazy. <laughs> you do this so. too. Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> We're not just going to just keep talking about the cool things I do. You did this stuff all the time. Jesus. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it crushed my soul when, you know, at a past job, I would have to spend hours drawing gray boxes and like labels that, you know, I don't really care about. But when I'm setting type and I'm really like dialing things in, I'm in a happy place, right? There's something <laughs> to keep in mind is that like, man, it, it's it's sometimes cool soul crushing to to do to do up artifacts that you know that you're just gonna like not learn much from. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, if I do something that's higher fidelity, I'm gonna be able to even take that and talk to actual people, right? Because when you're yeah. describing a product to someone, like I don't know if you ever done like usability tests with just wireframes, it's really hard because. Yeah. The, someone's got to use a lot of imagination. So um, it's both fun yep. and I think just just more useful. But I feel like there's a couple topics here we could probably talk about a bit more. The, you mentioned yeah. um, writing as like a low fidelity approach. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's yeah. like between drawing boxes and writing in a, in a notepad, I write in the notepad. Like it, it's yeah. faster, right? Um, and then the idea of like, um, you know, making more time to dial in the interaction so that it is more like true to life. Um, yep. that's, that's another episode right there for sure. Well, there's another one too on visual design, right? Because like you talked about the fact that you enjoy typesetting and getting into those details. Well, not everybody. Yeah. Um, a visual design doesn't come um, naturally to everybody either, right? Like that's a skill that a lot of people are still working on and, and, and crafting. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of times that kind of comes hand in hand with like the ability to move to high fidelity as well. Um, is like your confidence level in visual design. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like that would be another great topic to get into too. Is like how do you start to improve your visual design skills um, and be able to use those uh, to improve your process. Yeah, well, you're just making more excuses for us to uh, to get on a call together, John, yeah. uh, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> Poor you, though. Obviously, yeah. come on. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think sometimes I, I think about this um, probably a bit too much is when we look at you know tools like Figma and we look at how efficient that makes us, um, I, I think it's it's true that you know the role of technology impacts the fidelity that we tend to work at. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, when I was a print designer, I was often told and taught that you know looking working in lo-fi was faster. You could convey like key 
concerns of communication more clearly. But I often just like, mm-hmm. even as a print designer, I just ignored that. And I would just go straight into InDesign and almost right, right away just start mocking things up. And, you know, I think every traditional designer sort of gave me the stink eye at doing that. But um, whatever, like, it, it, it's just, um, it, it got me there faster. And I was happy that I did that. But, you know, I, I think like, you get a sense of my bias, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Like, like how do you think technology and, and tools like Figma have really impacted our like perspectives on fidelity? They allow us to move a, little, a lot faster, right? Like they allow mm-hmm. us to, to share ideas, um, collaborate together with other designers really quickly in a space that is more high fidelity, right? Like in the past, we had to collaborate um, in lower fidelity forms, because we couldn't work in a high fidelity space at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Like we had to stay at the whiteboard, or we had to stay uh, at the desk drawing stuff out, or um, even even some of the like wireframing tools in the early days were more collaborative by default. Right. Um, it wasn't until we started to get to like Figma where we could actually be collaborative in a high fidelity like uh, space mm-hmm. um, because that was totally unique. Like you, before that you had to throw around Photoshop files or sketch files or <laughs> use like abstracts versioning um, with sketch to do that, but it wasn't as collaborative. So like throwing a, a high fidelity concept back and forth between a couple of designers was just not that practical. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to make a lot of those decisions first as a group uh, in a different um, level of fidelity and then be able to increase it. Uh, and, and it's sort of like just one person's responsibility to do that almost because of that. But now with Figma and being able to do it together in the same space allows you to to move to that level and, and collaborate still. Uh, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have evenings of like working at your desk and just like uploading a PSD to Dropbox? Did you ever do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> and then, fun. And then someone saves on top of it and you've got like yeah, two different override. files. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh yeah. shit, which one is it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was so hard. So, I mean, it honestly was like you had to kind of get some of these decisions made without that because otherwise you're, you run into these problems and it was hard to kind of share that stuff back and yeah. forth. Yeah. 100%. No, yeah. I, I'm like, it's imagine going back, right? Like I, um, also, rest in peace, abstract. But uh, I, <laughs> I, I had a good time with abstract, to be honest. Yeah, but, so did I. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to go back now. Like, I can't imagine it going is. back to Sketch and you know loading actual files on your computer or you know managing them through Dropbox. Like, I just I can't yeah. imagine going back to that ever now. Yeah, yeah. my audio is still good, right? Because there's like a giant storm outside my office, and the rain is like pounding the window. I can right hear now. it. Yeah, no worries. Though. You can it's fine. Now? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I was wondering what the, I thought. Maybe you were playing with some like bubble wrap or something. No, no it just like all of a sudden just kicked up, and I didn't know how much <laughs> would get, like come in through the mic. I don't know. It's all good. It's authentic. You know, John, it's always a struggle to stop us from like talking because uh, we try to record these in the middle of the workday and well, <laughs> yeah. I've got to go back to work now. Um, if you like the topic we discussed today, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback over Twitter. Our DMs are open. Um, but uh, John, get out of here, man. Go back to uh, pushing boxes and rounding corners. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in the future uh, time zone wise. So it's basically end of day for me. I'm All right, get out of here, man. Just get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. You too. <laughs> okay. You too. <laughs> the Fidelity Podcast is hosted and produced by John Rundle and Bill Chung. Visual brand design by Amy Devereaux. Rate, review, and subscribe to Fidelity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.